Thank you for tuning in to this week's message. For information about the church, you can go to our website, connectionschurch.church, or you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Well, good morning again, and thank you all for being here today. It's so good to be back, and uh, after being away last weekend and a few days with our daughter at a conference she was attending, and what a great time that was, but there's no place like home, right? And I see that uh, all of us aren't on vacation right now for the 4th of July week, but that's okay. Maybe you're going this evening, tomorrow, uh, maybe later in the summer. Uh, we, we, we pray for those that are away and, and catching some, some rest and getting a little break, and we look forward to them returning as well. And, and we're, just, we're just glad to be here today. How many of you are glad to be here? And how many of you realize that God brought you here for such a time as this. I mean, it's it's amazing from week to week the different folks that gather and are here at Connections on this, this campus here in Belmont, and, and it's always unique. There's always a couple few extra or different or, or, or whatever, but it's never the same congregation twice, and, and yet each and every week God has something very specific and unique and powerful for everyone who walks through these doors, and that is no different today. God has you here for a specific reason. Would you tell your neighbor that you're here because he has you here today? Go ahead and let them know that. And then remind them, don't miss anything he has for you today, okay? Just, just remind them of that. Go ahead. It's okay. About four of you are doing it. I need the rest of you working with me here. Let's go. Don't miss anything. And welcome to week two. If you haven't already, grab your handouts on one side. It's a great place to take some notes. On the other, uh, information about some powerful opportunities to serve and get involved. At the bottom, if you haven't already, if you're new to us today, just uh, give us a little bit of information. We'd like to reach out to you this week and let you know how glad we were to have you here. And on the other side, on the bottom, is a prayer request form that you can fill out, put down whatever needs. If you need more information or more room about that to, to write down more, just add some extra extra paper to that. Let, let, let us know how we can pray for you, and you can drop them in the, uh, the welcome center there on your way out. Uh, we just want to know how we can uh, agree with you, pray with you, or whatever's going on in your life. So welcome to week two of Upside Down Kingdom, and I want to thank Pastor Scott for starting us off last week by looking at what God's kingdom is all about. And if you were not here last week like I was, but I was watching from Boston, and, and many of you were as well who were not here, but if you missed it all together, go back and catch up because you don't want to miss out. It was a powerful time, a great word that, that Pastor Scott shared with us. And, and he told us what God's kingdom is all about and of the ultimate importance of making sure that we are a citizen of God's great upside down kingdom. Because if you miss that, listen to me. You can miss 4th of July sales this week going on at the car dealerships, at the, at the department stores, whatever. You can miss out on going to the beach and hanging out and, and risking your life with shark attacks. You can, you can miss that. But if you miss being a citizen, being a part of God's great upside-down kingdom, then, then hear me this morning, you've missed everything. You have missed everything, and your life is going to be a total waste. And yeah, I said that. Because it is that important. That is what the life's goal is all about that we live here on this earth. Is being a part of the family of God, being a member and a citizen of God's great kingdom. Now the heart behind this study is about the things that don't make sense to the world that we now reside in. That we're just passing through. The tough commands and instructions that God has given to us. That the carnal, flesh-driven, selfish, human side of us. It seems crazy. For several years now, Pastor Scott and I have been going back and forth. 
we'll hear some kind of wild saying from, from God's word and somebody will speak it or, or, or read it to us or whatever. And we'll automatically look at each other and say, upside down kingdom. And the reason why is because this has been brewing for a number of years, this particular study, because a lot of the things that Jesus would say makes no sense to the carnal man, right? Does that, that make sense? It doesn't make sense to the, to the ear of that person that does not reside within the citizenship of God's great kingdom. So it seems very contrary and to our, our point upside down. Today I want to talk to us about a challenge that Jesus gave us that is found in, in literally all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And I believe the reason why is because it is probably one of the most, if not the most difficult one, that Jesus challenges us with. And for our time today, we're going to look at Matthew's account in, in chapter 16, verse 25, where Jesus spoke these words. He said, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will what? Will find it. That, that just goes against the grain of everything that, that our, our human nature fights for. Why? Because we fight for our lives. We fight for survival. We, we fight for success. We fight for, for being able to thrive in this life that we know as we know it. Everything within us wants to hold on, wants to gather up, wants to, to be that success and, and reach those, those goals and, and have ourselves to stand out and above all others around us. So when Jesus comes along and throws out something like this, the first thing we've got to think and, and even say to ourselves is, that makes no sense. You're saying to me that if I want to gain life, if I want to know what life's all about, that I've got to just lose it? I've got to give it away? I've got to surrender my life so that I really know what life's about? But if I try to hold on to my life and do something myself and, and reach those goals and, and be that person and everything, that it's all for naught? That's exactly what he's saying. And when you hear that, everything inside of you wants to push back. It's like the old trust fall exercise. Anybody ever been a part of that many years ago? That was kind of a popular thing and team building and all that. you got to trust the people you work with and, and the people you do life with. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to form this, this human net and we're going to bond our hands together and, and you just fall back and let us catch you. It just goes against everything inside of us, right? Why? Because we want to stay upright all our lives. Whenever we started to walk, even as little babies and toddlers, everything in us, there was something that this, this little compass that said, stay up on your feet. How many of you have fallen in public before? It's kind of embarrassing, right? I knew a lady one time many years ago that anytime, anywhere, anybody would fall, she would laugh out loud because most of us have the restraint and are able to, you know, kind of laugh to ourselves and say, well, I hope they didn't get hurt, but that was pretty funny. I mean, that, you know, you got to admit when people fall, like everybody thinks one of these days I'm going to fall off this platform or I'm going to fall trying to get back on the platform. And you know what? It's coming. I know that day's coming. But I don't care. I'm going to laugh with you. And I'm going to give you permission right now. Whenever that happens, just go ahead and break out in laughter. And this particular lady, every time somebody would fall around her, she would see it, man. She could not help herself. She would just bust out laughing, as we say here in the South. And it's kind of funny. But everything in us wants to stay upright. And everything in us wants to save ourselves, wants to promote ourselves, wants to embrace ourselves, wants to be all about self. And here Jesus is, is saying something totally contrary. Listen, all throughout the scripture, if you'll read it and study it, and I challenge you and I beg you and I plead with you to do that, 
The Bible tells us things like crucify the flesh and all of its worldly lust. It tells us things like that as Christians, we are crucified with Christ and the life that we now live, we live no longer in the flesh, but in the power of the risen Son of God. It also tells us, as the Apostle Paul declared in his writings, he must what? Who said it? Increase, and I must what? Decrease. So here's that upside down mentality right, right here in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the writings of Paul. He's got to increase. And where does he increase? In us. And, and, and what has to decrease? Us. We've got to diminish. He's got to gain. He's got to grow. We've got to shrink. We've got to, and what we're talking about is the selfishness inside of us, that part of us that longs to be in charge, to, to have it our way, like Burger King says. Come on, you can have it your way. We'll make a burger however you want it. You want a burger with, with no buns and just meat and lettuce and tomato, we'll make it that way. No onions on it, whatever you want. And that's the mentality that we are, we are born into, that selfish nature. And yet Jesus and Paul and many others that went before us are saying, die to self. We must decrease so that he can increase in us. We can't be Lord of our own lives if we want him to be Lord of our lives. Only one person can be in charge. Is that not correct? I can't still have control and surrender control to him. It doesn't work that way. We can't co-op our lives. We can't co-manage my life. All through the Word of God, if you'll study the passages of Scripture, you're going to see those things over and over and over again that don't make sense to the carnal man. It doesn't make sense, does it? Because since we were born in this world, we've been thinking of taking care of self, of promoting self, of me being out front, of me being in the spotlight. And then Jesus comes along, and listen to me, church, he just blows that out of the water, right? Don't you love how he does that? He's like, you've lived this way up to, up to now, but, but from here on out, I'm, I'm commanding you, I'm challenging you, I'm begging you, I'm beseeching you. Live different than that. Live different than the world around you. Listen, E.M. Bounds, a great theologian of many years ago, said these words, all God's plans have the mark of the cross on them, and all his plans have death to self in them. That's not something we enjoy talking about. And when we're talking about in this context, we're not talking about our physical bodies dying, although that one day is going to happen. Hopefully not now. For whom the bell doth toll. I, I, be careful. Check your pulse. Uh, check your, your neighbor's pulse real quick. That was crazy. Almost like we meant to do that, right? Yeah, we're that good. Okay. We don't like to talk about death, and we're not talking about death in the physical sense. Here's what we're talking about. Look at me right now. Don't miss this. We're talking about death in the spiritual sense, in that the stuff of this life, the cares of this world, the self-centeredness of my nature must die, must be buried, must be done away with. And how many of you know that is a continual battle? Because that sucker doesn't want to stay in the grave. He wants to keep resurrecting and tormenting and controlling who we are and what we are. And that's why Jesus, when he commanded us to pick up our crosses and follow after him, he added these words daily. Why? Because today I'm doing pretty good with carrying my cross. And, and a man, I've, I've beaten down that flesh through the help of the Holy Spirit. And, and I, I'm putting it to death. I'm crucifying it with all its lust and demands and desires and everything else. But tomorrow, guess what? I'm going to wake up. It's going to be a new day. And those things are going to come knocking at my door again. So I've got to rise up 
in the power of the Holy Spirit and crucify the flesh once more daily. Take up your cross and follow me. Knowing that this is the upside down kingdom and callings that God places out for us and upon us. Why do we hold so tightly to our lives? Why do we worry so much about what's going to happen to us? Why do we build so much of our lives around ourselves? And why are we always trying to find ourselves? If you notice, that's become the, the theme of the last 10, 20 years or so. I've, I'm just on a search. Just on a journey. I've got, I've got to find myself. Excuse me. Something caught my throat. I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to find yourself in a self-help bookstore. You're not going to find yourself with some guru out in the desert. You're not going to find yourself, you know, with your, with your legs folded and your, your fingers in this position and incense burning and all that stuff. And um, um, You're not going to find yourself there. We will only find ourselves at the foot of the cross that Jesus surrendered his life on. And at the empty tomb where he rose again on the third day, folks, because that is life. He is the author, the creator, the giver of life. He put us here on this planet for a purpose, and only he can help us find who we really are. And that's only found right inside of his life in ours. All that other stuff is this worldly garbage that the devil himself spewed out of hell trying to get us to buy into the lies of this world to deceive us and destroy us. Everything else is dead and useless. Only Christ, him crucified, him resurrected that third day is where we will find our lives completely. I'm going to tell you, this world's been trying to sell us that, that junk for many, many years. The old beer commercial that used to run constantly said, you only go around once in this life. you got to grab all the gusto that you can. It's, it's junk. It's useless. It's garbage. We can't seem to get the focus off of ourselves, but Jesus shows up in this discussion with some very strong words. He said, if you want to find yourself then you've got to lose yourself in me. If you insist on finding yourself yourself, then you're going to lose yourself forever. Doesn't that make sense? It doesn't really, but it does. Let me, let me repeat that again. If you insist on finding yourself yourself, then you're going to lose yourself forever. So I want us to take a deeper look in the next couple of moments at this amazing passage and, and find out how we lose our lives in him. And first of all, in your outline, I put down, it's really all about winning at losing. Without a doubt, the greatest Life is the Christian life because we are living life as it was meant to be and in fellowship with God who created us, discovering the unique plan that he has for each of us. That is the ultimate living right there. Nothing else tops that. Listen, the Christian life is more than just having our sins forgiven. Those are great things, amen? And it's more than just acquiring fire insurance. <laughs> That's important too. Contrary to what this current world wants to tell you, that there is no fire waiting for some people. But it's living life as it's meant to be in knowing Jesus Christ in a personal relationship as a friend, as a Savior, and as Lord and our God. 
But unfortunately, many have lost sight of this in the church today. I believe that many are settling for a Christianity that is simply not biblical at all. Christianity so-called that embraces Jesus as Savior, but neglects him as Lord. In other words, I call him my Savior, but I'm going to go out and live life any way I want to live, contrary to what God's word calls me to. And that's not biblical. A Christianity that's big on self-esteem, but very small on self-denial. I want to make this statement right here. If our faith is not turning us upside down, then how is it going to turn the world around us upside down? If we're not changed, if we're not different, if we're not being transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ more and more and more and more each day, then guess what? We, have, we can't give what we don't have, so we have nothing to give this lost and dying world around us if we're not being turned upside down. And the church of Jesus Christ that was birthed there in the book of Acts when Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit upon those few disciples gathered in the upper room, they literally shook the world for him because they themselves were shaken to the core and turned upside down in their own lives and emptied of everything of the selfishness that they held on to for so long. They were drained. They had just poured out of them. I, I see this picture in my mind where literally like Jesus was holding them by their feet shaking all the bad stuff out, which he didn't. But I just like to see it that way. And at the same time, I like to say, Jesus, come and grab me by my feet and turn me upside down and empty me of everything that is not of you and turn me right side up and pour everything of you into me that I'm so full, I'm overflowing with who you are and everything you've called me and created me to be. That's when we know we've Died to self. Christianity is a, is a call to do just that. Would you write that down somewhere on the margin of your outline? It's a call to die to self. And deny our sinful fleshly desires that are contradictory to the word of God. And really, 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 really let Jesus live in us and through us. Remember the prayer he prayed before he went to the cross to his heavenly father. Lord, not my will, but yours be done. That should be our anthem. That should be our constant prayer. It is not change the Bible to continue to live the life that I want to live. It's my life being changed in order to live the life that he has called me to live. That is when we're dying to self. And there's another big D word there on your outline that, that we must embrace along with death and denial of self. What, what we need in short is something called discipleship. You ever heard of it? It's not, a, it's not another boat in, in Carnival's fleet. Discipleship is not another boat in Carnival's great fleet of cruise ships. Discipleship, however, is to be a sold-out, ever-growing student follower of Jesus Christ. Just like those first disciples that he called, they were working. Peter and his brother Andrew were down on the seashore working as the fishermen and cleaning their nets and everything. And Jesus came by and he looked at them. And they looked back and they were like, something's different about that dude. And the Bible tells us he simply said, drop your nets and come and follow me and I will teach you how to be fisher of men. What? 
tomorrow you're working away at your office and doing those spreadsheets and, and getting all those, those information pieces together for your, your manager and getting ready to submit that report. And, and you're just busy at it. And all of a sudden, Jesus came by and looked at you and said, get away from that computer and follow me. And I'll make you into a fisher of men. What would you do? There you go. Preach it. That's exactly what they did. They dropped their nets and followed after him. Folks, that's a, that's a heart that says, you know what? I want what Jesus has for me. I want to walk away from the life that I used to know and the life that I used to live, even if it's that radical and drastic of, of, of leaving behind my vocation. Then I'll do it. It's called discipleship. When he called those first disciples, they followed him closely. They watched him. They listened. They soaked it in. They asked questions. Were they perfect? No, they were far from it. We, we realize that as we go through Scripture and see the mistakes they made. But they were ever growing and ever going and ever following him and learning as they went every day. That's what discipleship's all about, church. When a couple of them had a squabble about who's going to be, be his right and left-hand man, who's going to sit with him when he establishes his kingdom, who's going to be in positions of power, he looked at him and said, stop that. It's not for us to know. It's not, that's not what you're here for. It's not about a power grab. It's about you being willing to lay your life down as I'm going to lay my life down in just a matter of days. To save lost humanity. It's about you serving and not lording over anybody. Not having these power positions and, and being somebody of prestige. That stuff is nothing. That's the world's way of thinking. He said, we're talking about laying your life down for those around you who desperately need saved. Can you do that? I think they went. Well, uh, that's not what we had in mind, but... Wow, okay, um, let's, let's back the truck up a little bit and rethink this. And Folks, discipleship. I believe in my heart of hearts, one of the few things that has been missing from the modern Christian church is this. The Christians who want to dig deep who get beyond the surface fluffy stuff of showing up once in a while and raising a hand once in a while and looking at a verse once in a while and praying a prayer when they're in a, in a pinch once in a while. But I believe that God is calling us for such a time as this to be people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, who are falling on their faces and crying out, God, show up and turn me upside down. And Lord, turn the world around me upside God, I need more of you every day than I had the days before. God, come and do a mighty work. God, I want to know and grow in you. Lord, I want to show up in your word. I want to be that person who seeks you with all my heart. God, I need you more than I need my next heartbeat. And when we get to that point, when we're hungry for more of God, when we just can't wait to get to church and we can't wait to tell everybody else around us, come and you gotta, gotta go with me. You gotta be a part of what God's doing and, and God's coming back soon and we've gotta be ready and we've gotta call everybody we can to come and get ready and, and let's grow in Him and be those men and women of God who move past immaturity 
and are strong in the faith. We need some more John the Baptist to come out on the scene and say, you know what? Thus saith the Lord, he is coming soon. You better prepare the way and make the way straight before you because Jesus is coming very soon. We need more people who arise up in the spirit of the anointing of God and push back the tide of darkness that's enveloping our nation right now. That'll do the work. And I'm going to tell you, discipleship is doing the work. It's rolling up your sleeves. Getting down to business. Getting them Sunday shoes kicked off and putting on your work boots. Picking up a shovel and saying, what, what can I do? How can I dig this foundation? How can I lay the foundation? How can I help out? How can I work? And how can I add to this? And how can I be a servant of the Most High God? How can I bring one more person to Jesus Christ? Folks, that's the call of discipleship. I'm going to tell you, Jesus has many fans, but few true disciples. And I'm talking about those who are willing to pick up and carry that cross and crucify the flesh daily. That's the high calling of discipleship. So often today we hear about the importance of self-image, self-love, self-worth, selfies, and self-esteem. Sadly, we hear it proclaimed from our pulpits. Doesn't the scripture say you shall love your neighbor as yourself? First, you've got to love yourself and then love your neighbor. Wrong. Stay with me now. The Bible's not teaching you to first love yourself and then love your neighbor. Rather, it's teaching you that you already love yourself. So now, love your neighbor. In fact, the Bible says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, Ephesians 5, 29. We already have self-love. Now we need to love others in the same way, selflessly. So today's mantra seems to be help. I can't find me. You hear people say, I'm trying to find myself, as I mentioned a moment ago. But Jesus says that if you want to find yourself, then lose yourself. If you want to find your life, then deny yourself. If you will seek holiness, if you will seek the will of God, then you're going to find joy, happiness, fulfillment, and all those things as a byproduct. But if we chase after blessings, you're never going to catch them. You understand what I'm saying? But if instead we choose to be a blessing to others and suddenly, <laughs> out of nowhere, we're going, where'd that come from? The blessings of God are just going to come pouring into our lives. I'm going to tell you, when we go after them ourselves, when we seek them, when we're whining about it, crying, well, I don't get this, why don't I get that? Folks, the key is give your life away. It's die to self. It's not my will, but thy will. It's not what I want, but what I can help you with. Just pouring out ourselves as an offering unto the Lord. And when we do that, you're going to be amazed. You're going to be blown away at the blessings that come your way and jump into your life. How many of you want some blessings jumping into your life? Then be a blessing. It's more blessed to than to. But man, when you give, you can't outgive God. You're going to receive more and more and more from Him. It's an amazing thing, all this stuff. It just seems paradoxical. It seems so contradictory. It seems, dare I say it, upside down. And maybe it is to this world's way of thinking. But God says this, if you want to find life, then lose it. <laughs> then just lose it. Jesus said himself again in Luke 9, 25, For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? Listen, if we chase after fulfillment and happiness, we're never going to find it. But if you will get your priorities in order and follow Jesus Christ as his disciple, then you're going to find everything you need in life and so much more. 
One of my life verses has always been Matthew 6, 33, and I put this in the notes days ago, and it popped up on one of my Bible apps today as today's verse. Matthew 6, 33 says, but seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that right standing in God, and a few of these things. What? A handful of these things are going to all of these things? All, all of what things? The things that we worry about and fret over and concern ourselves with? Or am I going to have enough for groceries this week? The power bill going to get paid? Is so-and-so going to talk to me? Or we're ever going to be back in, in, in good relationship with this neighbor or whatever? Well, I mean, all these things. All means what? All. You've heard that before. And all of these things will be added unto you. Phrase that again. All of these things will be added unto me. If, if I do the first part, if I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all of these things are going to be added to me. And please get this. You start talking about dying to self, denying all this. And we're, you know, the picture you get sometimes is these monks up in the Himalayas and whatever, and, and they're beating themselves with whips if they have one thought that's contrary to what they think is right. And, and they're living this existence of just meagerness and all that. And sometimes when you start talking about this kind of stuff, those are the kind of mental images you get. And you think, ah, da, 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 and you kind of think it's going to be miserable. But I'm, I'm here to guarantee you this this morning. And I, I give you my personal guarantee on this. It is the most exciting, exhilarating life that you're ever going to find here on this side of heaven until you get home. To live the life of selflessness, of dying to self, of, of crucifying it, of nailing it to the cross is the most exciting, exhilarating life that you will ever, ever, ever live. You've heard the old expression as, as kids, we, we started hearing this, finders, keepers, losers. We could take what Jesus is saying, call it losers, keepers. Because the person who loses his or her life in reality keeps it forever. This type of radical discipleship is literally called a call to death. Death to self and selfish is truly the only way to, to find real life. It's the call of Jesus, come and die with me and in me and be resurrected to real life. But man, is it a struggle for all of us, right? I mean, we hear this. Something inside of us, it's the Holy Spirit that's connecting and wants to live like this. But the flesh starts rising up immediately saying, you can't do that. I mean, P. Scott can. Look at him. He handles everything gracefully, and he has no issues at all. It's easy for him. But for the rest of us, man, you might as well give up on it. Don't even think about it. Thank you, Scott. Now, it's a struggle for every one of us. So how do we get there? Just five quick things I put on your outline that I want you to write down. The first one being humiliation. It's the essence of the Christ-like life, to live with humility. Here God uses reproaches, abuse, poverty, loneliness, persecution, distress, seeming failure, disappointments, and the like. And these things succeed when they cause us to lose our own will and allow God to take charge. He must increase, I must decrease. Secondly is rejecting the praise of men. Self thrives on praise and adulation. Self-esteem is the hotbed 
of the self-life and self-living. I mean, we long to turn around and have somebody. Boy, you, you're doing so good. You're awesome, man. You're, you're so talented, so gifted. You ever notice how you kind of elevate when those things start happening? Kind of like, going, that's as far as I can go on my tiptoes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am. I am somebody. Listen, I am not saying we don't encourage each other, we don't thank each other, we don't build each other up because the Bible says that, but we can't buy into that way of thinking in our own minds and start to elevate ourselves above others and say, you're right, I am the stuff. I am somebody. No, you've got to carefully, look, carefully guard your heart and your mind from that. Especially walking through the streets of, of, of where we were at in the conference up near Boston. There were almost 9,000 teenagers at that conference. I cannot tell you how many thousands of times I saw teenage girls like, in the restaurants around town eating lunch and, and stuff at, at the tables. They've got a, a cheeseburger in front of them or a sub sandwich or, or just a few pieces of salad there just because they're trying, you know. And they're like, just co constantly. And you know what? I know this is crazy. That was all the way up near Boston. But you know, I've actually seen it around here too. <laughs> I've actually seen it in this building. We get so consumed with that. We've got to be super careful and not let that grip us. Thirdly, we embrace simplicity and childlikeness. Self feeds on things grand and glorious. Christ-likeness is childlike and simple, right? Because Jesus himself said, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must become as a, as a little child. And listen, there's a great difference between childish and childlike. We don't want to be childish saying, I want my toy, give it to me. No, that's childishness. Childlike is that simplicity of faith and believing. Jesus loves me. Man, that's awesome. I love him too. Hold on to that. Simple. And really, you could, you could boil it down to this. Love Jesus and love each other. Two greatest commands. Just like a child loves, loves Jesus when they are introduced to him. And they love their parents and love those around them. I've seen that so many times, you know, racism isn't something we're born with. It's something that we're, we're teaching others if we're not careful. Because we, we as, as children, we just, we just love. We just hang out. We just friends with everybody. Child likeness, simplicity, and number four, living by pure faith. Self de depends on outward assurances. Living by pure faith trusts the word of God even when there's no indication of God's presence or blessing. And even when I was writing it, I thought, man, some people are going to have a, 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 a tough time with this one. So here's what came to my heart. Like Paul and Silas when they were thrown in that old Roman prison cell for preaching the gospel of Christ. And they were in the lowest part of the cell. And, and it was dark and it was dank and it was, it was rough. And they were in chains and they were behind prison bars. And, and everything looked hopeless. And, and, and so there was seemingly no indication that God was there with them. That, that maybe he had forsaken them. Maybe he had, he had left them and said, you know what? If you can't do any better than get arrested, then, then I, I'm out of here. I, I don't belong in jail. We know that's not true. 
God's everywhere. And even though they couldn't see him and it didn't look good and man, they had just taken some beatings and, and being thrown in this prison and it wasn't fun and, and everything just kind of looked lost. The Bible tells us they, they got down on their knees and they began to sing out and praise the Lord and lift him up. Even in the midst of the prison cell, they began to worship God and celebrate him for who he is. And guess what happened? You've read the story, most of you in this room. If not here, I'm just going to tell you how it ends. All of a sudden, the presence and the power of God shook the place in which they were captive. And the prison doors opened up and the chains just fell off of them. And they were free men. And the prisoners around them were falling on their faces saying, I don't know who this is, but I want some of what you got. Help me in my situation. And God showed up. Even when we can't see him or feel him and we, we, we think maybe he's left us, he is never, ever going to leave you. Faith is taking that next step even when you can't see where your foot's going to land, but trusting that the God of the universe has his hand right there for you to step on. Living by pure faith and then number five is seeking our nothingness and his allness. I know that don't even make sense, but that's just the way I wanted to put it. Seeking our nothingness and his allness. We must make a daily habit to distrust ourselves in our own wisdom. Amen? And in our own strength. And look to Jesus Christ alone for everything that we have need of. Being truly led by the power and the presence and the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As you close your eyes for just a moment, I, many of you aren't familiar with the, the name Bill Bright, but if you get a little time this week that you can pull away from whatever consumes a lot of your time, look up the testimony of Bill Bright. He is the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ that has been around for quite a number of years and had quite a huge impact owned hundreds and thousands of teenagers, and he had this to say about dying to self. In his words, Bill Bright said, everyone I know who has been greatly used by God has gone through an experience of dying to self as described in the book of Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 where it says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He went on to say that it is not until we know the reality of death to self that we can live fully for Jesus Christ, allowing God to truly use and bless our lives. He said, my Galatians 2.20 experience happened in the spring of 1951 when his wife and himself signed a literal contract to become slaves of Christ. And he said, I daily reaffirm this contract. Holy living involves a daily decision to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. It involves yielding our will to God and adopting his perspective. If you want to see what it looks like to live a holy life, then examine the life of Jesus. The Bible tells us he is the visible expression of God's holiness. That God wants our minds and our hearts to be filled with his Holy Spirit. 
as our lives are transformed, we will project the light of his holiness into the darkness of the evil world that we live in. Real life, abundant life, begins with dying to self. Dying to self is a liberating action that produces the fullness of joy and peace. Listen, folks, as we as a nation celebrate our freedom from the tyranny and the oppression this coming week, we can truly live in freedom in Jesus by dying to the sinful self that wants to keep us in bondage. And I ask you right now this morning, right before we finish up this, this part of our, our gathering, if you're in this room, if you're outside of it watching us today or in the days to come, if there is anything, anything in our lives that need to be nailed to the cross, now's the time. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Don't think about it. Because I'm almost sure in my heart that, that all of us in this room, when, whenever I made that statement, something popped into your mind. Yep, that needs to die. Yep, that needs to be done away with. Yep, I need to crucify that. Yep, that needs to go. So I ask you right now with your eyes still closed for just another moment in this room, how many of you would, would have the boldness and the courage to just raise your hand and say, yep, pastor, there's some things in my life that, that certainly need to be done away with. And how many of you would have the courage and the boldness to take that next step and just come and stand with, with me and Pastor Scott and Terry and Joseph are going to come and, and we're going to stand here to pray with you. Would you come now as your hands are going up all over this room? Would you come and, and make the step and come and let us pray for you and with you? Some of you in this room, you know what? You've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, possibly. And this is your day. This is your moment. This is your time. Would you just get out from your seat and come now and let one of our, our ministers here know what's going on in your life, what you need, what God's calling you to. But I'm here to tell you this morning, right now, one more time, if there's something in your heart, in your life, that needs to be done away with, that needs to be nailed to the cross, would you get up as well? And would you make your way down here for this time of prayer? and dying, literally. And I want to ask many of you that are still in your seats, if you would, if you feel, not even looking up here to see who's walked down to the front, but there's a number of folks up here, but if you feel the Holy Spirit saying, go and stand with somebody, go and pray with somebody, go and partner with somebody, would you just get up now? And you, when you get up, God's going to direct your steps to who you need to pray with. So would you just be, be attentive to the leading of the Holy Spirit and come and begin to minister and cover these folks with prayer? I'm going to tell you something, folks. This is a tough call this morning. Because you know why? Self loves what self loves. And the things of self and the things of the Spirit are totally contradictory and they fight against each other. But I thank God. Would you stand to your feet all across this room if you're still seated? I thank God that we have a ton of folks this morning that said, you know what? Jesus Christ has touched my life. The Holy Spirit is working in my heart. And he's calling me to come and crucify the things of the flesh that do not belong in the life of a disciple. So, Father God, right now we thank you that you love us enough just as our parents love our children. And when they're doing wrong, God, we will correct them. We will deal with them. We will work with them through that. And we will call them to come and get back on the path of rightness, God. And so right now, you are calling us as, as a church family, as a body of believers, you are beckoning us to come and get rid of those things that aren't right, to literally nail them to the cross and be crucified and put them to death. 
so that new life can spring up because that is the way this works, God. When we do away with those sinful desires and those fleshly desires, God, you bring a hunger for the Spirit of God and the things of righteousness and holiness into our lives and you spring forth new life within us, Father. As we are ministering across the front of this room, we're going to worship now as we do that. We're going to celebrate you, God, but we're going to continue to pray and continue to work through these things and continue to see these folks continue crucifying these things, God, with the help of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, you be glorified this morning. You be honored as we worship you and celebrate you one more time in song in this room, God. And, Lord, I just thank you that this is a day of change for so many inside this room and outside of it as we fully yield to the work of your Spirit in and through our lives. In Jesus' name, team, would you lead us in this song as we pray with and for these folks at the front of this church. Thank you for tuning in to this week's message. For information about the church, you can go to our website, connectionschurch.church, or you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram.